What is something I always say to you? I love you so, 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 so much. Is it recording? Welcome to Second and Ali. I'm Josh Moss, editor of Louisville Magazine, here with my co-host, Michelle Eigenheer of Louisville.com. Michelle, this is the second episode. It is. We made it to number two. If we keep doing this, it might become like a real thing. I think it's already a real thing. I'm going to tell myself that. But for episode number two, um, it's Derby Week. And if you want to hear about Derby, you can check episode number one, because this is your friendly reminder that Mother's Day is on May 8th, the day after the Derby. Sunday after Derby. That seems kind of mean. Yeah, this whole city is going to have to like make up to their moms for their behavior that weekend. That's right. So go buy your mom a nice gift. Coming up on today's show, we've got a lot of mom-related stuff. We've got a piece on our office mom. We won't spoil yet who that is. We've got moms interviewing their kids. But first thing, Michelle, I want to ask you, is there a song that reminds you of your mom? Um, my mom is a big Patsy Cline fan. It's really the only music I've ever heard her listen to. So anytime I hear Patsy Cline, it's, it's me thinking about my mom. It's like when you were growing up, she was playing that in the house? In the car, mostly. Um, when I say she doesn't listen to music, like she really doesn't. But for whatever reason, Patsy Cline, she latched onto when she came to the U.S. The, uh, the car thing reminds me, I was probably like seven, and my mom was blaring this Elton John song called The Bitch Is Back, just singing it, like, full throttle. And I was like, Mom, like, can I sing that? Like, that's a bad word. And she's like, you can sing it too. So there's that memory. But the song that really reminds me of my mom is called Thuggish Ruggish Bone by Bone Thugs in Harmony. It's this rap song. Uh, when I was a kid, they would still buy me, like, these parental advisory terrible like rap lyric cds my grandma would buy it for me and they would say like do you listen to the bad songs i would say never but i did and the, the funniest thing was bone like they rap really fast so my mom would just try to make up the lyrics so thuggish ruggish bone became like it's the clogging roggin bone i'm like mom what are you doing and she just got a kick out of it so mom uh bone thugs in harmony reminds me of you one of the pieces in the May issue that sort of inspired this whole mom theme for this second episode was we had six of our photographers uh, shoot their moms, and the only assignment was basically capture your mom in sort of her natural environment. Uh, and Michelle, you recently sat down with Mickey Winters, one of those photographers, to talk with her about her mom. Hey, Mickey. Hello. Um, so for this month's issue for Mother's Day... We had photographers take pictures of our moms, and you took one of yours. Yes. When you think about your mom, how do you picture her? She's just so much that um, finding, like, w one sort of descriptive thing is nearly impossible. Um, I'd say she's just like a character. Can you describe the portrait you took? So this was Easter, and uh, <laughs> she'd been working... Um, she cooks a whole lot, so even if it's just me and my son and my nephew, she will cook enough to feed an army. So she's always real flustered, you know, and like banging things around the kitchen, and uh, but all in good spirits. So she was tired, and she's used to me photographing her, so she's just kind of like, 
Okay. And she obviously does not mind、um, being seen exactly how she is. In the portrait, Mickey's mom, Dee Dee, sits on her front porch in front of a green door. She's wearing maroon sweatpants and a yellow Washington Redskins t shirt. Her long gray hair is almost white, worn loose, and she has red framed glasses propped up on her head. It's hard to describe her facial expression. She's looking straight into the camera, but she's not happy or sad. She just is. Whenever I do photograph her,、um, I think it's sort of like, well, her as a person, she's always been. You know, a really authentic person,、um, exactly who she is, and she doesn't change that for anyone. So, in reference to that, she certainly doesn't change that for me when I have a camera in front of her and never has.、Um, she just stops for a second and then、uh, she tells me she's done, and then she'll get up and do the next thing or whatever. <laughs> so, in the, in the portrait you have her, is this her porch? Yes.、Um, did, you, did you ask her to sit there? Did you come upon her just? Yes,、uh, well, we were in the front yard because she was about to hide some Easter eggs、mm-hmm. or whatever. So、um, I just had her set down. She's always sitting on that porch. So it just seemed like a, a good spot. And I visually, of course, I always、um, like her yard ornaments and knickknacks. And she has a million of them. So you can see like the two angels that she hand painted <laughs> in the background. She's very proud of those. If you could tell me one story about your mom. The one that maybe represents her most accurately? I would say my favorite story about my mom, and it, it was sort of the redeeming quality in our relationship too, because we weren't close、um, growing up. It was actually the opposite. And it wasn't until I had a kid that、um, things started to, to sort of come together in a little bit more grace, a little bit more acceptance. And then、um, my brother, my oldest brother, was in a motorcycle crash. For a whole year, he had to learn how to rewalk. So every single day, after she would work all day, she would drive up to the、uh, physical therapy place、um, where he actually was living, like a live in patient, and、um, make sure he got up to try to walk every single day and without fail. So I think that is the most authentic thing about her that she's very strong and committed with all the hard things, even if she's completely inappropriate and isn't very mom like. In all the rest of the senses that a mom would be. <laughs> Do you see any、um, similarities in how your mom is a mom to you and how you are to your son? Yes.、Um, back in the day, I probably would have like totally cringed to say that, but、um, now I see the things that have sort of bled over, and that's just really、um, being in the moment and enjoying life. So、um, just being. Totally free and, and not really subscribing to anything that society says you should do or you should be or this is how you should behave. So, you know, she'll just get on the trampoline and start jumping in with my son and, and become his friend. I think with me、um, and with my son, it's, very, it's a very、um, candid relationship and very open and.、Um, Accepting. So she has totally accepted、um, me in all states and, and all whatever I experienced growing up. Even if she wasn't the greatest mom in a lot of ways,、uh, there was that level of I couldn't really screw up. So, and that's true. My son, you know, in, in my eyes, couldn't ever really do anything to disappoint me in the way of you're not good enough, you know? Yeah. So acceptance and,、um, Carefreeness and sort of 
an un- unapologetic way of living life. To see the photo of Mickey's mom and five other moms, check out the May issue. And now, moms interviewing their kids. I'm going to ask you some questions, okay? Okay. What is something I always say to you? What? Baby. Baby? Yes. Uh, songs. What songs? My baby boy. Can you sing it? My baby boy. Yes, my baby boy. My baby boy. I don't know. I love you. <laughs> I don't know what. What makes mommy happy? A smiley face. Oh, really? Me. <laughs> um, when I help her make dinner. What makes mommy really happy? Me. It's true. What am I really good at? You're really good at singing. Oh, thank you. Um, yoga. Taking care of me and Judah. What's mommy's favorite thing to eat? Chicken. Chicken? Mm-hmm. That's a hard one. Because I know you like to eat a lot. I mean, a lot of different things. <laughs> a lot of different things. I knew what you meant. Um, pizza. Pizza? Um, salad. Salad? Um, salad. Salad? Peanut butter and eggs. Peanut butter and eggs? What is my favorite thing to do? Green? <laughs> you play by yourself? What do I play? You play Goldilocks. <laughs> Good work. Give me hugs. I don't really know that one, but I'm just going to say she likes to give me hugs. How old is Mommy? Bigger. I'm bigger? How old am I? Two. You're kind of um, uh, four. I'm four? Yeah. Okay. I, I told Gigi that. If you had to buy me a present, what would it be? Um, A talking dino. How do I make you laugh? When you laugh? You laugh when I laugh? My laughing makes you laugh? That's funny because your laughing makes me laugh. (laughs) Now we want to switch gears a little bit. Associate editor Dylan Jones recently called his mom to discuss his essay, How to Come Out to Your Mother. Hey, Mom, how's it going? Okay, kiddo. She was in McCreary County, that's south of Lexington on the Tennessee border. Uh, They talked about many things, including the piece, which she had just read for the first time. I'm glad we're getting the chance to talk through some of this stuff. Um, Yeah. So you've read my new essay, How to Come Out to Your Mother, Um, and I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about, I mean, when did you first uh, think that maybe I was gay? Well, I think I probably thought it before you, a long time before you told me, but I just didn't bring it up with you because, you know, I wasn't sure yeah. one way or another. And, uh, you know, that that's just something you wouldn't you wouldn't bring up because I wasn't quite sure. Well, and I just, I just always thought that we had, you know, a good relationship, and I thought, well, you know, you, you'd talk to me when you were ready. Sure, yeah. I'm wondering if there were any moments you could talk about, though, or anything that, that made you think that. Um, I, I don't think there was any specific moments. It's just, 
you, you never had a girlfriend that often. You know, when, when you did have a girlfriend, you, you didn't seem to stay together very long. <laughs> yeah. um, I, the, the one I'm thinking about in particular is, is the little girl that had the, the gothic look. <laughs> I don't even know who you mean. You were in band, and, and Michelle called me and, and told me that that you two were an item. And I thought, really? Really? The band director I, called? Yeah, because, you know, she always talked to me. We, you know, we were friends. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that you kind of just figure you would let me come do it on my own time, which I appreciate. I mean, that's exactly what you should do. I don't think I could have, uh, like, the mind state I was in when I was a kid, if you would asked me if I was gay, I think that might have crumbled my whole world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's just, that's a personal thing. That's not something you, you bring up to a teenager. Hmm, yeah. I mean, well, I don't think that I was equipped to handle it as a teenager, you know. that's. Uh... Well, I don't think many teenagers are. I mean, t- being a teenager is just rough on its own. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, what can you describe me when I was a kid? I mean, like... What what kind of kid was I through your through your eyes? You were never a kid. You were always a miniature adult. <laughs> <laughs> All right, go back to and, go back to elementary school. Like, <laughs> and well, uh, but even before that, in preschool, in preschool, your your word was actually. <laughs> that was that was the word you used a lot, and your so, preschool teacher called and said, Dylan's word is actually. <laughs> actually, is in like like correcting people. Like yes. actually, it's, yes. so I was all, yeah, I was always actually in, this is the way it is. <laughs> so I was always an insufferable know-it-all, basically. <laughs> yeah. Well, what about what about as I got older? I mean, as I went into middle school and and even high school, um, I mean, could you tell that I was different? Like that that I didn't fit into that, you know, sort of. Well, as as a mother, you always think your child is different. Right. That's that's just part of it. You always think your your child is is different and special. And in in my case, the teachers would come to me and tell me, you know, they kind of back that up. Of your son is so polite, he's so nice. We enjoy having him in class. Did you know any gay people? I did. Yeah, I worked with with a, a lady. Yeah, I've got several gay friends. How long had you known gay people? I guess probably, you know, I probably knew them a long time before I knew they were gay. Mm. Uh, so probably many, many years. But you know, and that's not anything they just come out and told me. You just observe it through life. You know, you start seeing what partners they have. But you know, we didn't really speak openly about it. Yeah, I mean, down there, <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure exactly what time you're talking about, but years, I mean, years ago in Macquarie County, Kentucky, oh. it's not exactly something that you um, have, you know, you don't have the luxury of being open about it. It's not, no, it's not and safe. It, and actually, it's still that way. Yeah. Well, I mean, I wonder if you can talk a bit about, um, you know, when I came out to you, or maybe just when you first started to think that maybe I was gay, um is that something that you thought about, like about how the community would react to that and how the town would, would think about that? I, I I did. I worried about that because, uh, you know, as a mother, I, I'm, I'm protective and, and I, I really worried about how you would be treated here. Yeah. I mean, what, what kind of... Uh... What kind of stuff do you think were you expecting? I mean, what was in your nightmares, I guess? 
Well, I had I had a cousin back when I was in high school, and as soon as she graduated, she had to move from here because things, you know, not only was it the community, but even her family was and so she... so down on her mm. that she just had to move away, and that was before cell phones, before email, and so I totally lost touch with her. Mm. And she was gay. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, that made me worry about what what would happen with you. Yeah. Well, I mean, luckily I had the privilege of having a mom who wouldn't, you know, uh, attempt to invalidate my existence. <laughs> no, I mean, no. But, you know, I worried about, about your friends and, you know, how you would be treated. Yeah. That's just a protective instinct. You know, it's interesting. I, um, I mean, all of my close friends, of course, were were totally fine with me. Um, it, it's just interesting what people fixate on. You know, like I, I had uh, a cousin uh, come up here, sort of out of the blue, recently, and she mentioned that she was hanging out with one of uh, my um, adult cousins, and that that adult cousin was like, "Is Dylan gay? Is Dylan gay?" Um, and she was just like, well, what do you think? And, and you know, that's not the first time this happened to me. It's usually family members, though. And, 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 you know, the majority of them don't have, I guess, just because they, you know, it's the culture. They just, gay is different and weird and bad. Um, well, it's, it's like this cousin that I was I was telling you about. The family don't even mention her. Yeah, that's you know, I've, I've not heard anyone even mention her in years. It's It's like she just doesn't even exist. Well, yeah, that's exactly, I mean, that's exactly what happens. They, you know, a family with that kind of mindset, you know, they have a kid or, or, or something that it's gay, and obviously the kid's not going to stop being gay. <laughs> so then their yeah. only, you know, their only solution for it is to just pretend they never happened. Mm-hmm. And it's just amazing to me how, you know, those kind of that kind of thinking will override like a familial obligation, even a parental obligation. You know, there are otherwise loving parents who like. Well, you know, I you know I have a a cousin who a younger cousin, younger than me, who came out to uh, her parents and they kicked her out of the house immediately. That's wild. You know, it's it's crazy because I, I imagine if you asked. Her parents, hey, do you love your child unconditionally? They'd probably say yes. Do you think? I mean, I think they would say that, and then you could. Oh, oh they would say that. They would say that. But obviously, there that's are not conditions. True. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, that's something that I'm lucky not to have from you, but um, you know, I, I, I don't, I, I wouldn't have that from Grandpa. I wouldn't have no. that from Dad either. No. I mean, sometimes I think Dad knows, but I've never told him myself. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not a... It, it, that, that's another thing in the essay, you know, all the stuff about Dad is pretty dark. Um, yeah. And it was dark, um, but, you know, he and I have a pretty decent relationship now. Um, yeah. But it's sort of predicated on my... Uh, you know, just sort of omitting certain parts of my life. 
when I, you know, when I talk to Dad now, even though we get along really well when we do hang out, it's like I can't tell him, oh, there was this boy in my lit class that I like talking to. This is a hypothetical. But do you know what I mean? There's like, no, I can't, uh-huh. I can't say anything like that. You can't be honest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, let me ask you how you feel about the essay overall. You've read it. It's a doozy. I, I did read it. <laughs> I did read the writing. I thought was great. Well, thank you. My uh, mom likes my writing. <laughs> it's just um, uh, like I, I've told you before. I, th- I think your generation is just more open about things. Mm-hmm. We're all more private. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I think that um, and it's hard. It's hard to read things that happen to me. Mm. And even though I know it's part of your past too, it's still hard to read it in print and remember it. Because it um, makes it sort of real, it brings it back up, or because it it, it brings it back up, and mm. it's something that you try. To, like I said, the bad memories you try to repress, you try to put it in the back and not think about it. See, that's interesting though, because. Uh, you know, as a writer, I think that I do exactly the opposite. I think that, uh, y- you know, all of the uh, barriers that um, people tend to put up, and especially, you know, American culture tells you you're supposed to put up. You know, I think the r- real truth and real emotion and real meaning is beneath that, usually. Mm-hmm. Um, and that it's uncomfortable for us to dig around in it sometimes, but that if you don't, you'll never get to that you know, that capital T truth, you know? Um, and that's something that I thought about a lot because I know that you're generally a really private person. And here I thought, well, here I am, you know, airing, <laughs> I hate this phrase, but airing the dirty laundry, so to speak. You know what I mean? Um, but that's your history, too. And that's- well, but it's also yours. And, I mean, I knew I, I, knew I had to write my story, um, but I also knew that I wasn't going to share intimate details of your life without damn good reason, because obviously you are such a private person. And I'm wondering if you think maybe the essay accomplishes that. I mean, do you think, I mean, I know it's a difficult essay um, for you and for me, um, but I'm wondering if you think that, um, you know, it's worth it, like it gets to something. Yeah, I do think it gets to something, and uh, I was, really impressed with you when you t- when you first started writing and you talked to me about writing about things from my past. And I told you that's your past, too, so you don't have to ask me permission because that is yours. But it, it made me feel good that you were thinking about me and how I would take it. And yeah, of so course. that, you know, that, that, was, that meant a lot. It's like a weird line to walk. I mean, on the one hand, I have to, um, you know, I have to take charge of my own memories and, and my own work. But, you know, I, I think that that also, that doesn't mean that it doesn't affect other people. And um, Yeah, you do, and you do have to think of other people, but it's still your history. It's, it's, right. it's your story, and you should be able to tell it. Well, I mean, what kind of—I uh, mean, what kind of feelings are you having about it now? Now that you've read it, and a little time has passed. The little the part of part of your essay, there, there's a little part in there about us that nobody knows except us three. 
Mm. Because I never discussed that with anyone. Yeah. You're talking about when Dad assaulted you. Yeah. 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 You'd you'd never talk to anybody about that ever. No. Yeah. No. See, that's one of the. That's another thing that, you know, you say you're private, but I think that that can be, a danger. I think it it gives you a tendency to. You know, sort of just internalize these these obstacles that you face, and and instead of decompressing them or seeking help or talking to anybody about them, you feel like it's all your responsibility and that you have to conceal it from people. Would you say that's true? Yeah, that's true, and and that kind of makes me a hypocrite because all the people I work with, I tell them, you know, you need to you need to talk about your problems and you need to work through them and. But yet I'm not taking my own advice. Yeah, you're talking about like when you would volunteer with with women in drug court and uh, uh-huh. that sort of thing. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I think that um, you know, when I was younger, you felt you know you felt that motherly responsibility to shield me from certain things. But um, actually, <laughs> you know, you can't. You can't. Um, and, and I think that um, one of the big things for me when I, I wrote the essay was that I wanted to, uh, I don't know, I, I guess I want you to be to understand that you can talk to me about these things, that you can talk to me about how you're feeling about anything, um, and that you don't have to feel like you have to conceal things from me for my protection. Well, you're older now. I, I am older now. I am then. Yeah, I mean, I, I do understand there's a difference there, but um, I also feel like maybe we, you know, you still kind of have that idea about it sometimes. Well, I just think that's part of my generation. You just tried to deal with things and, you know, you didn't talk about it. You know, I was told that over and over as I was growing up. You know, you handle things, you don't talk about it. You internalize that stuff and you make it your fault and you say, uh, this is my responsibility to fix or it's my fault that it's happening in the first place. Uh, I mean, I guess I'm just wondering if if you ever wonder, hey, maybe I could have talked to somebody and and maybe things would have, would have been different. I don't know. Well, you know... I, I think when I first started go, experiencing some problems, um, I, I did try to go to, to my family, and, and I was told it's the old way of thinking. Um, you're married. You're the wife. You, you suck up and take it. Wow, yeah. And I, I was even told, well, I asked the question, so you're telling me that if he hits me, then I just shut up and take it, and I was told yes. Wow, who told you that? And and uh, my mother. Wow. And and I said, that's the old generation. I don't have to put up with it. And so you got divorced. And I got divorced and wasn't treated the same afterward you mean by you're... any of the family. Mm. So they knew. I mean, they, they knew but, that you were... Afraid. Like you, I, I don't think they. I don't think they believed it because I had never. I had never 
like I told you, I, I told no one of the things that had been going on. Yeah. So they thought everything was perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. Well. And then when I tried to tell them some of it, it was just be quiet, take it, and I didn't want to take it. It, it goes back to what? I mean, not to uh, say I understand what that's like from my perspective, but, um, you know, in a lot of ways that sort of relates to queerness a bit, you know? I mean, it's it's like the, there's this outdated – well, outdated even isn't the right word. It was never okay. It was never okay that women were just supposed to accept that their husbands were beating them. It was never okay that kids growing up gay felt that they had to inherently change something about themselves just to be real people. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I, re- I feel like, I don't know, I feel like this, <laughs> well, you're my mom, but I feel this deep kindredship, like this deep kinship with you, um, because I feel like we both broke a mold. I mean, does that does does that sound right to you? Do you do you do you feel something that like that? I mean, well, I, I think I think you are, but I I still think I'm back in the dark ages because I still internalize everything and I really don't talk about it. Hmm. Well, you know, uh, easier said than done, but change it. You know, it took me a long time to figure out for myself that I was gay, and there's a lot in the essay about that. A, about my process of figuring that out, which I really resist words like discovery or realization because it really didn't feel like that. Um, it's not like something happens and then you're like, oh, well then. Uh, yeah. It's a little more complicated. But, um, <clears throat> you know, at this point, I I know who I am, and I know that the way a lot of people in our hotel feel about it is stupid and backwards, mm-hmm. and so I don't worry about it anymore. I don't care about it. Uh, I, I think that might have been something that used to worry you. Um, uh, it still worries me because I know how people are here. <clears throat> right. Well, you know, in, in a lot of ways it's it's sort of easier for me to do that because I don't live there anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, I live in a, a city that's hugely open to LGBT people, at least compared with the rest of the state, um, and you know, I don't, I don't come down there too often. And I mean, that's that's a big factor in it. I mean, I really miss you, of of course, but yeah. it's like it's one of the most naturally beautiful places I've ever seen. Um, it, it is. And this sounds corny, but I really do feel like I carry the woods with me. Uh huh. Um, but. You know, it's not it, – when I go there, first off, I feel like a ghost. I feel like I've walked into a weird past life. You know, it, it's – it's we, we talk about family sometimes, and I know um, – especially because your mother was, was such a – you know, she had a huge family and always had all of her siblings, you know, over um, – you know, she would have her siblings come in for – holidays and stuff. Every holiday, yeah, every holiday. Well, before before my grandmother passed away, we all went to my grandmother's. 
And she had 18 full-size beds in her house. And we would all stay. I mean, we wouldn't get hotels. We would all go stay in her house. See, it's amazing to me, like, how that sounds so intimate and together and, like, you have this huge, big support system, you know. And I miss that. That's, That's how I grew up was with that family support. Yeah, well... Okay, so this is what I was going to bring up, is that I feel like you, because you had that, and because your mother was such a a family person, that you often feel, um, you know, a kind of obligation to our family members down there, Um, and I don't. I mean, I don't remotely, Not, not at all. I guess what I'm getting at, though, is that I couldn't share those things with uh, with most of our with well with pretty much any of our family. Uh, no, because it's it, it, it's it's getting back to my high school years with with the cousin I was telling you about that that just had to leave. I mean, I'm I'm sure you would be treated the same way even today. Yeah, which like I said doesn't really uh doesn't really matter to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know I have I have the luxury of getting to live here and study here and work here. And, you know, I often think about, um, you know, people, especially kids in Macquarie County who don't have the means to leave. Or any family support. Or Yeah, exactly. You know, they're in a bad spot, and there's nobody there that's going to help them. I mean, certainly not the schools. I mean, I, my gym teacher in high school um, would have us debate gay marriage. And he would poke his finger, pointer fingers together and say that men didn't fit together and so that they mm-hmm. there shouldn't be gay marriage. Just like that, openly vulgar and homophobic to like a, a, a gym class full of high school boys. I mean, like every every day is just you, – you, every person who is supposed to be a role model, like – they don't believe, they don't believe, it's like they don't believe that you even can be gay. It's like gay people aren't people to them. I remember thinking when he said that, I was like, I mean, I didn't say anything because I wasn't out myself. I don't think I'd fully come to understand that I was gay. The, the point is, is that, you know, I left his class thinking even then and now, especially in retrospect, there are gay kids in that class, 100%. There definitely are. I was one. Yeah. There are yeah. gay kids sitting in his classroom who are looking to him, their teacher, to help construct their worldview and tell them how to <laughs> how to survive as an adult. And what they're getting presented with is this, that gay people are unnatural. And, and it's not the uh-huh. kids snickering, that's the teacher's. And, yeah, uh, yeah. He was supposed to be setting an example for the kids and making all kids feel worth something and welcome, welcome and and welcome. able to learn and, in a and grow. Safe place. And instead, you know, they, they, yeah, well, in a safe place. Right, but it was never a safe place for me. One one thing I want to make sure I talk to you about was um, the essay. Um, how to come out to your mother is almost is a little tiny bit misleading in that um, the actual coming out doesn't happen until the end. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to go to that moment 
I remember exactly when I first actually told you that I was gay. I'm wondering if you remember. I do remember, and I was just I was just relieved that you finally told me. So we were we were talking over the phone, and and you just kind of casually. Yeah, it up. I, I just it just popped into my head, and I thought, screw it, <laughs> honestly. Yeah. Um, and that's a big part of the essay is that you can think about how to do it, you can plan it, it's not going to matter, it, it's too no. big of a moment, like it, it, it will take a life of its own. I mean, you said you were re- relieved. I mean, what stuff were you feeling? We had never really discussed it, and that's just something you don't discuss. And so... You know, you. it sounds like you really, really thought I was gay already. And I... I remember, I think I even phrased it something like that. I was like, you know, you know, don't you? You, you and, said you do know I am. And I said, yeah. I, you know, I, I said I did, but I wasn't really sure. But, yeah, I told <laughs> you that I did. Well, Mom, I uh, I really appreciate you talking to me about this stuff. Um, I hope, you know, we can talk about anything, anytime. Um, yeah, anytime. You know that. You call me anytime. Well, I know that. I mean... You should know that. You should know that. You can come to me with anything that you're feeling, and it's not a weakness. That's that's how to be human, you know. Yeah, it's just life. Yeah, and uh, part of the journey. Yeah, <laughs> it's been a weird one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad it has. Well, mom, I love you very much. I love you too, kiddo. Um, I I guess I will talk to you later. Okay, enjoy your day. Hey, you too. Talk to me anytime. Okay, bye. Bye. You can read associate editor Dylan Jones' essay, How to Come Out to Your Mother, in the May issue of Louisville Magazine. Right now you're listening to Don't Swallow the Cap by The National, a song that reminds Dylan of his mom. About it, he says, Mom and I know well the blessings of sleeplessness. Alright, Michelle, who is our office mom? That would be Julie Crutcher. And who's Julie? Julie is um, the office mom. She's the office manager. She's the wife of the publisher. Um, she tells me to go to the doctor when I'm sick. Do you listen to her? Eventually. I have, a, I have a similar story. My first year at the magazine was 2007, and I went to Coachella. And it was like, I've had asthma my whole life, like really bad asthma. And so I go to Coachella, and it's super dusty. And I, I had like a bandana over my face. I got like four breathing treatments. So I come back. I can't even breathe. And Julie comes in my office. She's like, what the hell is wrong with you? Like, go to a doctor. So I like, okay, Julie, I'll go to the doctor. So I go to a doctor finally, get on legitimate asthma medication. <laughs> she gave me some like knockoff uh, allergy pills from Costco. So then not only do I now have a 
bottle of that medicine. I now have a Costco membership thanks to my mom. So thanks, mom. So my office is right next door to Julie's, and often when conversations are happening, she'll break in just the way that your mom would at your house. And since my mom lives far away and I don't get to talk to her a lot, Julie gives me a lot of this advice. So I ask her about taxes and I ask her about um, allergy shots because I have really terrible allergies, which is what she made me go to the doctor for because she insisted that I was sick. She insisted that I had pneumonia and I actually was close. I was close to pneumonia by the time I went to the doctor. We asked some other staffers about how they felt about Julie being their office mom. Senior writer Ann Marshall said, quote, she'd talk to my belly when I was pregnant. She makes me feel like I'm not a total screw up as a mother myself. Our producer Amber Thieneman said she gave me a bag of children's books for my son. Pretty much everybody else made a point to mention that she keeps our snack bar pretty stocked. Thanks for the cavities, Mom. Julie may be our office mom, but she has two kids in real life who live in California. We asked them what song reminds them of Mom. Okay, hi. We are Julie Crutcher's daughters, Nora and Molly. And we were asked to pick a song that our mom really loves. And it was a little bit difficult. We have a lot of fond memories of listening to NPR in the car growing up. <laughs> Not a lot of music, Not... except our music. We would listen. She to... was very generous and let us listen to our own music in the car. Yeah. What was that Christmas album called? Which one? Oh, the Motown, a Motown, Motown Christmas. A Motown Christmas. Yes. This every year where all the people were listening to their like Josh Groban or whatever, <laughs> we were listening to a Motown Christmas featuring the Jackson 5 mm-hmm. and other stars of Motown performing upbeat Christmas hits. Um, however, that's not really seasonal. So we decided to go with a Stevie Wonder song because my mom loves Stevie Wonder. Mm-hmm. Uh, she also loves Prince, R.I.P., but a lot of his songs are very sexual. <laughs> And not appropriate for a Mother's Day podcast. For a Mother's Day podcast. So we decided to go with uh, Sign, Seal, Delivered by Stevie Wonder. I have seen her dance to it before, and she doesn't dance often, so that's really saying something. Um, She does like to dance, though. She does. Surprisingly, she will pull out some moves. She's got some moves. (laughs) She has got some moves. If if someone plays a Stevie Wonder song or, like, a Jackson 5 song, she'll get on the floor. Yeah. But otherwise... No, I will say uh, some other musical memories I have of my mom. Uh, she was really into Eminem. Oh, wait, no, wait, you're kidding. He didn't just say what I think he did, <laughs> yeah. did he? For a while, yeah, do you remember that? There was a hot minute where she really liked Eminem. Uh, you could have asked me to pick almost anything else. Her favorite flower, it's yeah. tulips. Mm-hmm. But favorite song is really tough it's for really tough. our mom. So thanks for the challenge. Thank you for the challenge. And um, happy Mother's happy Day, Mama. Happy Mother's Day, Mommy. <laughs> we love you. Mwah. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the second episode of Second and Ali. For episode three, you can hear all about Louisville music. The thing is, though, after I listen to this episode two, I realize I have to give my mom a gift, don't I? For Mother's Day. Yeah, you do. But on Louisville.com, you can go find lists on what to get your mom, where to take her for brunch, where to take her for dinner. That's also where you can listen to our podcast, as well as subscribe on iTunes. What else is in the May issue? What else is in the May issue? Diary of an Uber driver. Is your kid ready for kindergarten? That Chinese restaurant on Shelbyville Road. You know the one. You know the one. You know the one. The most popular Colonel Sanders wax figure in the world. A general store where tobacco was king. A floating house. A floating house. Uh, (laughs) That'll do it. Is it recording right now? Oh. And much more.
Second and Ali is a production of Louisville Magazine and Louisville.com. Our theme song was written and performed by art director Suki Anderson and circulation manager Amber Thieneman and recorded by Rob Collier. Louisville Magazine publishes each month. To subscribe, call 502-625-0100. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and any other social media platforms you can think of, even the ones that don't exist yet, at Louisville Mag and at Louisville Com. It's